You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Amen. If you know him, he's brought you through quite a, quite a ways. Uh, where he found you and where he's taken you, two wonderful different things, but praise the Lord for that. In the morning, we're going to be doing uh, a study out of the book of Philippians, but I felt led not just to do the study itself, which is important, and to study the passage, but we're going to attempt to mix two things in one, and that is uh, to deal with how a person should study the Bible, give you tools to how to break down a passage, and just because you're not a preacher doesn't mean you don't know, uh, you don't need to know how to take care of a text or how to, how to study one. And, and the Bible is not a difficult work, but it is a literary work, and there are some clues, some things that we want to cover tomorrow as we also study the text uh, that I think will help you un better understand how to study the Bible, if you're a preacher, how to prepare for a message. But most important of all, in this day and in this age, we've got to understand the Word of God. We've got to understand how to get into it, how to take on some simple clues, some simple thought processes, and discover what's there. Because to me, uh, everything is about the Word. I got saved reading a Bible, uh, high on cocaine and drugs at 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, and just wired and tired. And that's where he found me. Uh, so I've loved the Bible ever since. But we have to, as believers, understand how to uh, dig into it and find the things that are there. And so tomorrow, not only will we study together, uh, but we'll also look at, try to incorporate uh, a pattern of study that will help you, whether you're a preacher or a teacher or a layperson. There's no such thing as a layperson. We're all busy in the ministry. But uh, anyway, very good. And then tomorrow night, it's my intention on ministering on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not just uh, a, an event that happens after we're getting saved. Pentecost has tried to produce the idea that uh, being baptized with the Holy Spirit is the initial work of the Holy Spirit, or at least the most important. But the truth is that the work of the Holy Spirit starts at salvation. The second subsequent work, which is evidenced by time, is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And we believe, without an, an exception, that those that are immersed into, filled with, the Spirit falls upon, will speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them the utterance. But one thing is for service. That's for power for service, for gifts, for the operation of tongues and interpretation of tongues and power for ministry. Salvation, if we understand the work of the Holy Spirit in it, uh, opens up the door for us to be learning how to rise above the dominion of sin. And we don't want just one uh, I don't just want to have the one aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want to have his ever-changing, transforming power at work in my life. And I want the supernatural power that I need for service. And it, even though there are common elements, and I'm preaching on what I'm preaching on, but uh, even though there are common elements, it looks a little bit different on everybody. And so let's talk about that tomorrow night, the ministry uh, of the Spirit. And Sunday morning, you're just going to have to come to find out about that. <laughs> Open your Bibles tonight with me, please. Jeremiah 33. I sure appreciate, again, this ministry, this 
grouping of people, Becky and Steve Alexander, they just, uh, they're just friends, all of the staff members. It feels like home. So thank you. Jeremiah chapter 33, we'll read verses 1 through 9. Jeremiah 33, 1 through 9. Pastor, would you give me that water, please? Starting in the first verse of chapter 33. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time. I want you to see that. The second time. Can I just say it tonight as we read through this text? I want you to know that God doesn't stop talking to you. He's going to show up and talk to you a second time. And if you'll keep your ear open a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time. The word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison. You know, when you're in a prison or when you're in a difficult situation, that's when you need the word of the Lord the most. Saying, thus saith the Lord. The maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it. Well, what does the Lord make? What does the Lord form? What does the Lord establish? Everything. It shouldn't be a, uh, I know it's kind of a, what? what? Yeah, he, he forms everything. He's in total control of it all. Amen, Brother Larson. This is what he said. He didn't clarify what it was, that he, what it was. And I tell you tonight that it is everything. That he's the maker of it. He's the former of it. He established it. The Lord is his name. And that name is a covenant God. It brings those that understand that name into covenant with him. That We're going to talk about some tonight. And this is what he said to Jeremiah when he was in prison. Call. Call to the one that is the maker, the former, and to the one that establishes it all. To his covenant people, he says, call me. Not text, call me. The line is open. The door is open. Heaven is waiting to hear your voice. God the heaven of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth and sea and sky and all that in them is, comes to Jeremiah a second time, tells him who he is, and then he says, I know where you are. Do you know where I am? Call unto me. And I won't bother to answer you at all. Oh, no, that's not what it says. And I will answer thee. And I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Anybody here need to know something they don't know? Amen. Amen. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and concerning the houses of the kings of Judah, which are thrown down by the mounts and by the sword. Right then, King Nebuchadnezzar was attacking the city. Siege mounts were against the walls. The city was going to fall. Jeremiah was in a prison, but God wasn't hindered and God wasn't worried. Verse 5, they come to fight with the Chaldeans, but it is to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I have slain in mine anger and in my fury and for all whose wickedness I have hid my face from this city. My friend, God is still angry at sin. 
If you think that our sin individually or the sin of America is going unnoticed, you are incorrect. But he says he's going to take the people who are fighting against the Chaldeans and see to it that their bodies are pushed into the mounds, the same area that homes have been torn down to try to buttress the walls and protect from the Chaldeans. He said, it's all coming down. I'm angry. It's all coming down. And then verse 6, watch. Behold, I will bring it health and cure. And I will cure them and will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return and will build them as at the first. And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity whereby they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities whereby they have sinned and whereby they have transgressed against me. And it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all the nations of the earth, which shall hear all the good that I do unto them. And they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and for all the prosperity that I procure unto it. God corrects his own. God chastens those that he loves. God takes the beloved to the woodshed. Not because he dislikes us. And not because we don't have his favor. And not because we are not in covenant with him, but because we are his children. And we are his people. And we are those whom he cares about because he has given us his name. He has adopted us and immersed us into the person of Christ. The the new covenant community is no longer a a landmass over in Israel. The new covenant community is whosoever will, and all of them are gathered together in Christ. And so God pays special attention to those that have accepted him and are in covenant relationship with him. But sometimes in order to correct us and sometimes to carry out a plan that we might not understand, God will allow things or cause things that look quite negative to us. And to help us get through those time frames in our lives, and you say, well, um, I've never had to go through that. Get saved and, and you, you, you will. God says, here's what I need you to do when you find yourself in the prison house of your circumstances. I need you to call unto me. He invites those that are being disciplined, those that are traveling through difficult circumstances, those that don't quite understand what's happening. He invites them to call unto me. God wants us to take our troubles, our heartaches, our situations to him as his covenant people. In Jeremiah 29, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And that end is something you want to experience properly 
But in order to get there, we need to call unto him. And I want to just minister that to you tonight. A message entitled, Call Unto Me. God speaking, call unto me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to minister the word of God tonight. We pray that the Spirit of God would have his way. We've sensed him in such a wonderful way through the praise and worship, through the singing, Father. We now ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would come. The true teacher, the true preacher would come. Anoint us, Lord, to bring your word, to break the bread of life to your people and encourage those that are in trouble, to encourage those that are confused, encourage those that are down, that, Lord, you have their best in mind and that there's a travel path through the circumstances they find themselves in now. We ask it all in in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. And amen. You may be seated. The power of God is available to every single human being that walks on the face of the earth. God wants to be in relationship with every single person. But mankind starts off in a dilemma in that they are separated from God by sin. God is holy, and he cannot, he cannot dwell and abide with sinful men in their sinful condition. David would testify and say in Psalm 51 that in sin I was born, in sin did my mother conceive me. And it does not speak of his mother in a derogatory sense. It speaks of the nature that's in man when they're born, a, a sin nature, a damic nature, an old nature that is bent towards sinful uh, activity and selfishness, a sinful bent that is anti-God and has anti-sentiment. The world runs from God as fast as it can, wants to live either with their own version of God, the one they make up, not the biblical version, but the one they declare, and or they want to live totally free from anything he has to say. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me right from wrong. And thus the world runs from God. But God so loved the world. I said God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son 2,000 years ago to die on Calvary as payment for my sin and payment for every human being that has ever lived. Whether you walk through life or not and accept the provision of God that was given to us by His Son Christ on Calvary matters not because this, it does matter, but let me finish the thought. Jesus already paid for your salvation. There's not a man, woman, boy, or girl that has been too bad for too long that he can't change, that he can't alter, that he can't save. And the truth is, 2,000 years ago, he's already paid the price on Calvary. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. 
When Jesus went to the cross, Paul said he's the Savior of all men, meaning that the sin penalty for every man, woman, boy, or girl, every sin that would ever be committed by any person at any time was placed the penalty on Christ at Calvary. His father turned his back on him and could not watch as the son became the sin bearer, but he paid the penalty for your sin and mine with his perfect sinless life, died on Calvary, giving up his life as payment for sin. But it didn't stop there. Three days later, he rose up by the power of God from the grave. And the fact that he rose from the grave indicated that every single sin for every single person, for every single man, woman, boy, or girl, for all time was paid. So don't look at this preacher tonight in your seat and think, I've done too much, too bad, for too long for God to save me. My friend, there's no one. There's nobody outside of the grace of God. Well, how do I get it? I'm glad you asked. The way that we receive what God has provided for us is always and only by faith. We admit that we're a sinner and we accept Christ as our Savior. We say, Jesus, we might not, we don't have to have a whole lot of theology under our belt. We don't have to have a whole lot of scripture memorized. None, really. We just have to come to the realization that we are sinners and that He has paid the price. And so I accept by faith His provision. And I reach out by faith and I say, Lord, I believe when you're a sinner, and you're not saved, and somebody preaches the gospel, which I'm doing right now, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to start touching that heart and touching that life, and you're going to get nervous in your seat. You're going to feel a little trepidation in your spirit. No, that's not your pizza or lunch. That's God the Holy Ghost saying, it's time for you to come home. It's time for you to come to the saving grace of God. And there's no one that can't call unto him in order to be saved. His ears are open. He said, if anybody comes and calls on me, I will in no way cast them out. He's not here to reject us. He's here to accept us. And so as we come into relationship with him, he begins to transform us from what we are to what he wants us to become. And if you're like me, you drag your feet and you're slow and stiff-necked and uh, you, you try to tell God what he needs to do with you and you try to, I'm the only fool in the house, I guess. But I've found that it's a whole lot easier to go ahead and trap walk with him and let him do what he wants to do with me than it is to fight the battle of the flesh, to pursue my own life even after being saved. I got saved to be committed to him. I got saved to learn a new way of life, not to just add Jesus as a bobblehead doll on the top of my pickup truck. That's not Christianity. I want Christ in my heart, in my life. I want him crowned king. But it's not an easy process. It's not a simple process. It's one that takes time, and there's times when he 
brings us through difficult circumstances. Uh, Paul would record in Romans chapter 5 that we boast in God, not just the goodness of God, but we boast in tribulation. Whoa, brother. I'm a Christian. I don't have any tribulation. Well, methinks we better look at that again. Because oftentimes, tribulation works patience, the ability to endure patience, experience, or character, and character hope. James said, count it all joy when you fall. Listen, there's a few things I've experienced. I didn't count it all joy, Pastor. Didn't see it coming, didn't like it when it showed up. But what James and Paul were saying is that there's something about God's process that you need to understand. He's trying to fix something in you, fix something about you, teach you something that you don't know even about yourself, admit something that you haven't yet admitted, and allow God to do something in you that he hasn't had the opportunity to do yet. It's not for your bad. It's not to tear you down. His thoughts about you, Jeremiah 29, I read it. His thoughts about you and toward you, says the Lord, are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. But sometimes it can feel like God has just forgotten us. And I bet Jeremiah kind of felt that way. Out of all the people in the Bible, Jeremiah is that man that has uh, fewer converts than anyone else that we read after. He starts with, he's actually a prophet during the time span of the Old Testament in Judah of five kings. And the only one that was a good godly king was the first one. And he starts up with a bang as a prophet, and uh, it seems as if the people are hearing what he has to say. The king Josiah is a godly king, and he preaches and prophesies the word of the Lord, and there seems to be a repentance. There seems to be a turn in Israel from uh, idolatry and the worship of Baal, and they seem to adjust. But the revival was surface only. It wasn't really something that came from the heart. My friend, God doesn't just want you in church. He wants you changed. He doesn't want you to just get religious and put in your hour of your God thing for every week. He wants you to be having a living relationship with him. And Israel didn't change. And listen, when you don't really let God change you, you'll find yourself going back to your old ways, doing the things that you did even before you came into relationship with Him. Israel started moving away from God almost immediately, even when they first came into the land. He says it in this text. He said, from the very beginning, from the very start, from the very get-go, they were pushing away from me. They've been rebellious ever since. And God warned and God warned and God warned. Listen, God will throw up some blocks trying to stop you from going the direction you want to go. He'll come in and try to hinder you from pushing in your process and eliminating God from controlling your life. He'll try his best to throw up a a stumbling block to you to make you hindered in what you're trying to do if it's not what God wants. But you and I just keep climbing over the blocks and pushing through the doors that he closes. Don't you know that God will, if he wants a door, oh, he can open a door that no man can shut. 
and he can shut a door that no man can open. But we still try to kick down doors oftentimes in our pursuit of the things of God, and it's where we get ourselves in trouble. This relationship that you have with God came with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and He's there to guide you into all truth. And listen, if you'll allow God the Holy Ghost in you, I'm talking about a salvation experience now, if you'll allow God in you to start leading you and guiding you to all truth, you'll find that there's something to learn through every trial, every heartache, every circumstance. Instead of start asking God why, start asking Him what. What do you want me to see? What do you want me to learn? What am I supposed to add as I go through this? Because He's always got our best in mind, but He doesn't want to put up with us the way that we are. He wants us to gain that place where we can be our best in Him and our best for the kingdom. Israel was God's chosen people. They were in covenant relationship with him, but every time he tried to get them straightened out, as he did under the prophet Jeremiah, they pushed away. They forgot his word. They neglected the things that he'd given, the instructions. And ultimately, ultimately, listen now, ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar was given the right by God to come against Jerusalem and take down the city. Jeremiah prophesied, 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 and the people refused to listen. The prophet was then told to tell the people, this city is going down. This nation is going into captivity. And the only way that you're going to survive is to give up now and go out to the Babylonians and let them take you captive. How would you like that message from your pastor? They didn't like it either. In fact, they didn't like it so much they put him in jail. But while he's in jail, the word of the Lord comes to him. And again, I got, I'll say this to you, Jeremiah is not laid out in chronological order. So if you try to read it and think, well, this followed this, this followed this, it doesn't work that way. You're going to have to do a little digging to figure out the chronological order. But one thing that is in chronological order is chapter 32 and verse 30, and chapter 33. Those two coincide in the same time frame. And it's when Nebuchadnezzar came to attack the city this attack that God had warned them would happen if they didn't allow him to change them, and they didn't. And so now he was there to take them and take the city, and Jeremiah was saying, it's going to happen. I told you, you needed to repent. You needed to change. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And the only way to live is to go out to the Chaldeans, go out to the Babylonians, and the leaders of the city put him in jail. So now the only one that really knows the mind of God is in jail. And when you find yourself in jail for preaching the truth, it is kind of disheartening. Let me preach over here. When you find yourself in jail for preaching the truth, it can be a little discouraging. When you're doing the right thing and what everybody else is doing is incorrect and it brings a payday you didn't want, it's discouraging. But I'm glad that in chapter 32 and in chapter 33, we see this term, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah.
what you need in the middle of your dilemma, in the middle of your chastisement, if that's what it is, the middle of your growth process, what you must have is the word of the Lord. This book is still the word of the Lord. Rather than the word of men, rather than the word even I have a godly pastor, this man and this staff are godly. They love you. They'll try to do their best to tell you, but I can't tell you the things that God can tell you about yourself. You need to hear from God yourself. Well, God doesn't speak to me. No, you're not listening. I say that with a smile. You're not listening. When you open up this book every day, you should be saying, God, talk to me. God, speak to me. See, prayer is when I talk to the Lord about the issues of my life, and I talk to Him about the things that I need and the things that I want, the things I'm going through, where I ask Him for favor, where I tell Him where I'm at. And I know He wants to hear me, but oftentimes I find at least that my prayer is too one-sided. I don't do enough listening because God will talk to you. You can hear the Word of the Lord right in prayer. He'll interrupt you. Yeah, no, no, Brother Lauren, just hush and listen. Um, But so much of the time when I need instruction, when I need to know what to do, when I need to know where to go, I sit down every morning. It's my habit. I have an order that I go through the scriptures in that is working for me, so I keep with it. When I sit down in the morning before my day starts, I am asking, Lord, show me what I need to do. I'm in circumstances. I'm in situations. I need to know how to address this in a relationship or this at work or this at home or this in the family. I need to hear the word of the Lord. And God is your God. If you're in covenant with him, he wants to talk with you. And this is the way that we hear from him because this is his word. It's inspired. Every single dot, every single T, every single I, every single work is inspired of God. But more than that, because you're in covenant relationship with him, when you start to read it, the Holy Spirit can take something off the page and put it right into your ear, right into your heart and say to you, there's your answer. How many times are you looking for your answer on your Twitter feed, on your social page, on your this and your that and your this? Ladies and gentlemen, the answer you're looking for is still right here. I said the answer you're looking for is still right here. You need to hear the word of the Lord. You're not holier than anybody else because you read your Bible every day. That just means that you're positioning yourself to hear the word of the Lord. You're just positioning yourself. You're putting your ear, if you will, up to the door. Say, God, speak to me. You're giving him an opportunity to speak. And even though Jeremiah was in jail, and listen, there was a series of things that happened to Jeremiah. He, he was told that God was going to actually tear down the city. The Babylonians were going to take control of it. But then he was also told that Israel would be restored. And a cousin of his came and sold him a, a piece of land uh, and said, it's your turn and your opportunity to buy it. And he said, yeah, I'll buy it. And he was going to go to take a look at it. And they arrested him and threw him in jail. 
He got out of that, and they arrested him again and threw him in a pit. He got out of that and got arrested again, got thrown in jail, got thrown into another pit. You would think God was nowhere around, but God was watching. Listen, God is watching you. God's got his eye on you. Even if circumstances seem that they're just, we don't know what's happening there. And so now he's in jail again for the second time. At least he's not in the pit in a mud where he'd starved to death with no food. He's, but he's still incarcerated. And God doesn't just sweep down with an angel and let him out of jail like he did Peter in the New Testament. He comes down to his prophet. He comes down to the man of God that has said the right thing. And he comes down to the person that's in right relationship with him. And he said, call unto me call 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 talk speak pray ask seek knock and keep on knocking ladies and gentlemen have you grown weary of waiting on God well maybe he's weary of waiting on you maybe he's waiting to hear your voice maybe you should hear his word tonight as he speaks to you in the middle of your dilemma and he says call unto me show me a little interest express a little faith in my ability to enter into your circumstance and change your situation why don't you call on the I mean why do we and and I'm always amazed at myself when I do, well, all I can do is pray. Yeah, all I can do is pray. All I can do is pray. All I can do is walk into the room where the one who uh, has all power, all initiative, all strength, uh, I walk, all I can do is access him directly and ask him to work for me. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you should understand, it's not what you have, it's who you know. It's not what you can do, it's who you know. He says, call, call unto me. The word of the Lord came a second time while he was shut up into the prison. Shut up means, again, he was detained, he was restrained, he was stopped, the circumstances were hard, and, and, and God shows up and says, call unto me. You know, God has done most of the, well, he's done some wonderful things in a prison setting. Remember Paul and Silas? They were in prison, in jail, and God showed up. Joseph was in a prison, in a jail, and God showed up. Jeremiah was in a prison, in a jail, and God showed up. If you're in a prison or a jail, just get ready. I said get ready, because God is coming to call. God is coming to notice. God is coming, and he's not going to say, uh, just do it. He's going to say, call unto me. Open up your mouth. Express your faith in the one who's able to do everything that you need. But now you're going to have to drop your plans and your manipulation and your structure, and you're going to have to call on God, who is uh, declaring himself the one who made it all, the one who formed it all, the one who establishes it all. Why do you think he says that? Because he wants his people to have confidence in who he is. I form it all. If it's existing, it's because of me. 
I'm the maker of it all. I form it all. I sustain it all. And you have access by faith into this grace wherein you stand. And God is waiting to hear from you. Call unto me. You got a problem in your marriage? Call. You got a problem with the job? Call. You got a problem with finances? Call. 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 You feeling helpless? Time to call. I said, I'm just trying to get you to call tonight. You got the number. It's toll free. And you're not going to get, well, if you need finances, press 2. You're not going to get that. God's going to pay attention because it's you. He's waiting to hear from his people. Well, all I can do is pray. I wish you'd start there. I wish I'd start there. How many times have I tried to work through the circumstance, manipulate my way, talk my way out of it, work my way out of it, worry my way out of it, do everything I'm big enough to do, which isn't very much, and then finally come down to the end of myself and say, God, would you help me? I could have solved this a month ago. I could have solved this six months ago. I could have fixed this for you a year ago. But I'm just waiting until you get tired of your own self and you start saying, hey, God, creator of heaven and earth, the one who makes it, the one who establishes it, the one who forms it, the one who creates it, the one who's controlling all things, the one who controls the breath in my body, the one who controls my circumstances, the one who controls the people I'm going crazy about. God says, call, call unto me. I I don't think that we really understand that God is a covenant God. And that Christ at Calvary didn't just pay for my sin, he did. But what he did was he cut covenant for me. He cut covenant. The new covenant is called by Jeremiah in the previous chapter the everlasting covenant because it won't fail. God's covenant with Israel was doomed to fail because it was dependent upon man carrying out his part. Just like last year's New Year resolution. Uh... Where is it now? Somewhere else, probably in a box in a note that you threw away, because two or three weeks after the first of the year, the, the resolution, you know, lose 10 pounds, you did, and then you gain 20, you know. We, we, all, we all make it, but we think, well, I'm going to fix it, and we can't, and God is waiting for us to come to him and waiting on us to depend on him Because he is our covenant God. Now, covenant is important to understand because it shows the relationship that we have with him. But God didn't cut covenant with a man. He cut covenant, the new covenant, the everlasting covenant with his son. Because his son, unlike Israel, will never fail. And the only way to get rid of this covenant that's made between God and his son is to eliminate God or eliminate Christ. Well, you're not going to go very far in, in your attempt to eliminate God. And they already tried to eliminate Christ. 
They put him in the grave, and three days later, he got back up, and he said, I am he that is, was dead, and I'm alive, and I hold the keys. I hold the keys. So the covenant that God established at Calvary was between Christ and himself. It, it, it only fails if one of those two fail, and Christ isn't going to fail, and God isn't going to fail. When I accepted Christ as my Savior, God didn't send me over to the land of Israel. He immersed me into His Son, and His Son is in covenant with Him. Therefore, since I am in His Son, God is in covenant with me. My faith in Christ places me in Him. I become a new creation in Christ, and the covenant that God gave to His Son is now applicable to me. And covenant says, both parties say, whatever I have is yours. Whatever you need for your protection, I'll give it to you, even if it costs me my house, my family, my finances. Now, I got the better part of that deal because I didn't really have a whole lot to offer God. God. But when I'm in covenant with God, everything that he has, all that he can do, everything that he has is at his disposal. He will work to protect me or help me because I'm in covenant with him. Covenant. Call. Unto me, your covenant God. Call unto me, your covenant God. Now, I've got to tell you what some preachers won't tell you. Not everything in life is going to turn out the way that you hope. Some of the people that we pray for might pass away. Some of the healings we're praying for and asking for might not happen. Some of the financial situations we're facing might not turn out the way that we want. <laughs> well, amen, Brother Larson. Well, that means that God has failed. God has never failed. The circumstances that we don't understand and the things that we can't comprehend that are far above us. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And we make a mistake in the church when we come up with this triumphalist attitude, well, bad things will never happen to God's people. That's not true. Take a look down through history. We've seen some horrible things happen to God's people. Martyrs. They didn't they didn't end up with the largest house in town with all uh, the acreage they wanted, all the horses they wanted, all the trucks they wanted, all the... Some of them have gone by way of the grave. Some of them passed. We've lost men in the last couple of years to disease, to COVID. We've lost people we've loved. We've seen our nation go down. But let me tell you something. Our God is still our covenant God. I'm not swayed by the circumstances. I am solidifying my faith in His Word. So when I see things that I don't want to see, 
when I experience things that I don't want to see, I've got to learn to trust in him to bring me through to the other side. Jeremiah loved his people. He was a prophet. He was a a priest. He was a man of God. He wanted the best for his people. He wanted the best for Israel. And it grieved him. He's called the weeping prophet. It grieved him to see the state that Israel was in. It grieved him to have to tell them, you're going down. Your sin is too great in the eyes of God. He's going to take you down. But in all of it, God comes back to him, and he's telling the people what he doesn't want to say, and he ends up in jail for it. And God says, Jeremiah, call unto me, and I will answer you. God's got an answer for you. It might not be the answer that you were hoping for. But he says, call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things. Things that are so above and beyond our ability to understand. Things that are greater than what we could possibly hope for. Things that are greater than what we can possibly see. God did not come to Jeremiah and tell him that I'm going to step in and save the children of Israel. He said something different. But listen, God's plan for you and God's plan for me always has information that God sees as mighty, as great, as mighty, as powerful, as the word mighty there means inaccessible. It means to be unsearchable. You don't understand the thing that God has in store for you as you go through your situation. You can't see it. It's unsearchable. The word is actually Um, uh, one that indicates something that's fortified, something that is covered, something that is so in-depth, hidden from, from you, that the only way for you to understand it, the only way for you to get it, the only way for you is for God to reveal it to you. He deals with each of us as individuals. He knows right where you are. And he knows right what you need. And he knows what to bring to your life. And he knows what to take away. And he knows what pain will affect us to this degree. And what joy will affect us to this degree. But God has great and mighty, unsearchable, inaccessible truths and plans for you. Call unto me. And I will answer you. You'll get your answer, even though you might have to keep calling for a while. You might have to keep knocking for a while. Because that truth, when God gives it to you, is so powerful, it's so wonderful, it's, it's going to be such a great thing for your life that God is going to ask you to keep knocking. He tells us in the parable of the three loaves, the man that says, I need it now. And he's knocking on the friend's door at midnight. 
I need it now. I need loaves now. I got a friend that's come to visit, and I have to provide for him. And the friend's in bed with his family, and he says, I, I can't get up. I can't get up. And the man keeps on knocking. Man keeps on knocking. The man keeps on knocking. And guess what? His buddy finally got up and gave him the three loaves that he needed. And God uses that parable, Jesus told it, to tell us when you're searching out great and mighty things, things that are inaccessible but through the knowledge of God, things that God has in store for you, every now and then you just might have to keep knocking until God gets out of bed. You might just need to put in a, a call until God answers and it may not come in one day. We want that McDonald's drive through answer to prayer. And God says, call unto me and keep on calling. Knock and keep knocking. Ask and keep asking. you got a marriage that's on the rocks, a relationship that's almost over. You need to knock and keep on knocking. You need to ask and keep on asking. You don't know what your future holds. You need to knock and keep on knocking. You need to ask and keep on asking until God answers you and unveils to you great and mighty things that you have no idea. I've gone through things in my life that I look at my future and I say, I have no idea what I'm going to look like when I grow up. I have no idea what's in my future. I don't know what God is doing. I can't see it. And I have to keep knocking. And I have to keep, oh, Brother Larson, you know, I do not. I have no clue on some areas. I'm clueless. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Most of you are clueless too. That's why he says, call, call unto me. These things that are hidden, these things that are inaccessible, these things that don't come easily to you, that you won't find any other place, call unto me. He gave, Jesus did the parable of the unjust judge, of the woman who said, avenge me of my adversary, avenge me of my every time. The judge goes out of, out of work. I mean, the judge is dishonest. He's not good at what he does. He cheats people. But there's this little woman that he comes out of his house in the morning and she says, avenge me of my adversary. He gets over to the courthouse and she's there, avenge me of my adversary. He gets off of work, avenge me of my adversary. He tries to go to lunch, avenge me of my adversary. And eventually the man said, I don't fear God and I don't fear man, but I'm tired of that lady bugging me. I'm going to avenge her of her adversary. And Jesus told that parable and said, your heavenly father might tarry long with you, but just like that woman, keep calling, keep asking, keep knocking. Because you're in covenant relationship with God, and even if He tarries long with you or doesn't give you the answer you think you're going to get, He will answer you and He will show you great and mighty things you can't see, things you could never understand. You don't know why that problem is there, but God knows exactly what is going on. 
and he'll share it with us at the appropriate moment. In all of this asking, in all of this knocking, in all of this seeking, we are learning how to release faith in ourselves. We are learning how to release dependence on our own strengths, our own abilities, our own talents, our own money. And we're learning to depend upon the God that made it, the God that formed it, the God that established it, the God that maintains it. He's teaching me dependence. See, in this world, we, as growing up, we learn what? Independence. We got we to gotta learn how to clean our own room. Good luck with that. Um, said all the mothers of the teenage children. Uh, we have to learn to pay our bills. I raised four kids. I taught them how to pay their bills. Most of them still haven't learned how to pay me. Good luck with that. But we learn independence, and it's good. It's right. It's, it's correct. But spiritual maturity goes the other way. It teaches us to be dependent. Not to be a doormat, not to close our hearts and minds to the leading of the Lord, not to not do the right thing, but to depend upon the God that we're in covenant relationship with. Call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't. In Brother Swigert's life, I've seen, and I use his life as an example because he failed in front of the whole world. It's not like you and me where God works behind the curtain and nobody knows but him and I. And I, I kind of like that, really. I'd rather not let you in. If it's on Facebook, I control it, you know, but... Uh, and he put his Bible down on the floor and he said, I don't know the answer, but I know it's in there. Because the way that I was doing it, it's not that I don't love God. It's not that I didn't care about him. It's not that I'm a hypocrite. I just didn't know how to live for God. And I don't know how, evidently, because I'm not doing it, but you show me. In our church at that point in time, we began prayer meetings one in the morning and one at night for 12 years. 12 years. 10 o'clock in the morning in the boardroom and every night at 6.30, sometimes it changes to 6 or 7 over the years. And uh, we didn't, we just, not Saturday morning, but Saturday night. Sunday was service day, so we didn't meet there. But we began to pray, and of course at first we were just kind of praying for our survival because we didn't know what else to do, and the whole world was telling us we're not saved and separating from us and all the rest of it. But he kept calling. He kept knocking. He kept asking. And over the period of time of knocking and asking, God began to open up things to him, great and wonderful, inaccessible things that he couldn't have seen had he stopped knocking. 
And the prayer was not trying to earn something. It was trying to fight through the fog of not knowing. Didn't make us better or more precious to God. Every child of God is precious to him. I'm just trying to tell you that not every answer that we're asking for is going to come in a day. And we have to make up our minds that God is the only source that we can count on. And if it takes one year or two years or five years, we've got to keep knocking. We've got to keep calling. We've got to keep asking. And that's hard because the delay sometimes makes you feel like God isn't listening. But through the course of those years, there was something happening that we didn't even understand in Brother Swaggart and the rest of us. There was a formation. There was a a relationship with God that was preparing us for something that we couldn't see, something we didn't know. And the final ultimate message was the message of the cross, the message of faith and grace. Others knew it in the body of Christ, but we didn't know it. Other people understood it, but we didn't know it. It's the the truth that you don't see, the truth that you don't know that's killing you. Amen, Brother Larson, preach on. It's the things that we don't understand in our lives that God wants to open up to us. Call unto me. Keep calling. Knock. Keep knocking. Ask. Keep asking. Seek. Keep seeking. This nation needs people that know how to call unto God. I know God could turn the whole thing around without us, and if it ever does get turned around, He's the one that's got to do it. But meanwhile, He's saying to us tonight, Call unto me. It's in our hands. Okay, when Jeremiah prophesied that 70 years of captivity were coming, Daniel, years later in the captivity, saw it. And it was closing in to the end of the 70-year period. And Daniel didn't just sit down and say, Okay, God, you said you would do it. Now we're do it. Daniel went to prayer. I said, Daniel went to prayer. He saw what the Word said. He saw what the Word declared. He saw that God said He was going to do it, and he started crying out to God, Oh, God, you said. God, you said after 70 years. God, you said. And he began to cry. and see, He began to call unto God. You and I today, we need to start crying out for this nation. We need to say, God, one more time, we've got to have a revival. One more time, we've got to have an outpouring of the Spirit. I'm glad for what's happening here in Portia, Arkansas. But if you really know God, there needs to be something in you tonight that's calling out to Him for the nation that you live in. I was reading in Jeremiah the other day, and and, uh, I saw something that just, again, hit me. Uh, Jeremiah was fighting with the prophets uh, in, in captivity and he was telling the people, you're going to be there 70 years, build homes, plant gardens. You ain't coming back right away. 
And the prophets that were in captivity with his people said, Oh, bless God, we're out of here tomorrow. And Jeremiah was telling the people, No, you're not. 70 years, brother. You're going to be there 70 years, so build a house. And then he said this. He said, Pray for the peace of Babylon. I read that and I went, Do what? Because the place that they were living in was the place that they needed God's peace and welfare and prosperity to be. Because if that place that they were living in was prosperous, they would be prosperous. Sometimes God will have you pray for people and pray for things and pray for situations that don't seem right to you, but it's for your good. Sometimes God will ask you to pray for your government, and it sticks in your throat. But your government being impacted by God, bringing you peace and prosperity and welfare, you better start praying for your president. You better stop cussing and start praying. Oh, I'm preaching better than your amen Well, Brother Larson, you ought not to be political. I'm not political. I'm spiritual. You need to pray You know, if you don't like your pastor, you need to pray for your pastor. If you don't, why? Listen, I've learned for years. I've learned this. I know it as sure as I'm sitting here, as sure as I'm standing here, that God asks me to pray for my family. And in this way, he promised me, he said, I'm going to increase you and your family. And I know that was a word from God through the Psalms to me. Again, the word of the Lord. So I pray that. When Rachel started going astray when she was 15 and 16, I said, God, you said you'd give her the increase. You said you'd give her the increase. And I'm not talking about an increase financially. I'm talking about an increase spiritually. I'm talking about an increase in knowing God. I'm talking about an increase that really matters. You get the spiritual increase right and the physical increase and the other things will fall into line. So I would walk every day. I said, Father, give joy in Stephen the increase. Lord, give grace in Skyler the increase. Lord, give Joseph the increase. I probably need to stop praying for him. He's increased to five, and I don't want him anyway. But he, but when my daughter, 16 years old, she didn't go out and do drugs. She wasn't, but sure, her heart was running from the Lord. And for 18 months, I walked, and I claimed the promise, Lord, give her the increase. Give her the increase. I can't, I can't talk her into or change her mind. I saw the evidence of wrong thinking. Every young man, every young girl, I saw Joseph go through it. I saw Grace go through it. I saw Joy go through it. And the answer is not beating them up and locking them in a room. It's you finding time before God and lifting them up because God can do for you what you can't do for them. They've got to make the choice to accept him. But to me, increase the welfare, the peace, the prosperity of God in their lives was what he promised me. And so for 18 months, I lay claim to it until that day during a camp meeting, I was sitting there on the platform and Grace came over me and tears in her eyes just shut. I thought, oh, oh, what's wrong? And she shook me and she said, look. And I looked over my shoulder and Rachel had tried to get down to the altar. 
helped her, and she didn't quite make it. She fell on her face on the floor uh, just 30 yards from the altar, and I went over there for the next 45 minutes and just prayed with her and loved on her and let God the Holy Ghost fill her. She came back into the kingdom in that way and got filled again with the Holy Ghost and hasn't ever looked back. Hasn't ever looked back. Increase. You need to pray for your people. You need to pray for your family. You need to pray for your church. Your church not going the right way. You need to pray for it. Your nation not going the right way. You need to pray for it. If God would ask his people to pray for Babylon, don't you think God would ask you to pray for that? Come on, somebody. So it's Don't you think God is going to ask you to pray? Do you understand how much power that is available in the name of Jesus? You can't make things happen, but when you call unto Him, He will answer you. And He'll show you great and mighty things. He'll show you the answer that you need. Even if the circumstances don't turn out the way you want it, he's got an answer there for you. Even if the nation stumbles and the family falls and the church goes under, God is not gone under. And he said to Jeremiah, I'm going to let them go into captivity, but I'm bringing them back. I'm bringing them back. These are my people. I am bringing them back. And the whole world is going to see what I do. When you bring God into your situation, the whole world is going to see what God can do. And he said that their return into the land is going to be so powerful, it's going to be so prosperous, it's going to be so magnificent that the whole world is going to tremble. Israel has rejected Christ as a nation. But there's coming an hour and there's coming a day at the second coming of Christ that they will accept him. Even two-thirds of them are going to die in the tribulation period. But that last group is going to call out to Christ, call out to God. Really, they won't call out to Christ. They won't know Him yet. They're going to call out to God, as He did in Isaiah 64, and say, Why don't you rend the heavens and come down? And all of a sudden, in the eastern sky, there's going to come a rider on a white horse. And he's going to defeat the Antichrist. And the Jews that are remaining in Jerusalem will look at him and say, Who are you? And as they get a little bit closer, they're going to see nail prints in his hands. And they're going to say, Where'd you get those wounds in your hands? And he's going to say, I was wounded in the house of my friends. And then they're going to realize who he is. And they're going to accept him. And the power of that moment is going to impact the whole world. The prosperity that God will bring to these people and all those that follow him, the peace that God will bring to his people will cause the whole world to tremble. Let me tell you something. When you 
call out to God and you let him show you what you need to know about your situation, things you can't see right now, things you can't understand, he will show them to you. And when he answers you, it's going to be so far beyond what you could ever think or expect. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or even think. And the world that knows you, that called you a fool for, say, for saying, I'm calling on the name of Jesus. I'm trusting in God. The whole world that watched you go into captivity is going to watch you come home. And they're going to see the prosperity of the Lord. They're going to see what living for God is really all about. They're going to see it and tremble at the goodness that God extends towards you, His people. It's not easy to be a Christian especially not in these days. And your Heavenly Father will take you through the ringer. He will take you through the process. The only way you can avoid the process is to avoid Him. But He loves us too much to allow us to remain the same. And things we don't understand are going to happen to us. Issues are going to happen that we don't understand. But what we have is access by faith into this grace call unto me and I will show you great I will I will show I will I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know my friend I have just come to encourage you that the word of God to Jeremiah is still the word of God to us his covenant people And you can have God attend to your circumstances and situation if you'll ask him, if you'll keep asking. And you'll say, Lord, maybe there's more to this whole thing that I'm going through that meets the eye. Show me what I need to see. Show me what I need to know. Because I know you have my best in mind. Would you stand with me? The musicians would come, the singers would come. God can work for those who are his people. He works for those who are in covenant. And those that are not his people, he works to bring them into covenant. But I can tell you tonight that God the Lord wants to have a relationship with you and he wants to help you through the vicissitudes of life, the struggles of life, the problems of life. He's got answers. It might not always be what you're hoping for, but I guarantee you that he's got your good in mind. He's got your best in mind. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here tonight, my first call is that one that 
asks you, are you right with God? Are you where you need to be in relationship with him? I'm not asking if you're perfect because no one is. But have you neglected that opportunity to be in relationship with him every day? And as you sat here tonight, you've realized, you know what? I've let sin steal my relationship from the Lord. And I want to call unto the Lord tonight and make it right. I want to come to him today doesn't matter what your age is it doesn't matter where you've come from that call to come to God come to Christ is coming to you right now if you're here right now and you know that you need to get right with God and you understand this is the time I'm not going to overextend it I'm just going to ask you if that's you I won't embarrass you if that's you tonight, you need to get right with God, would you just raise your hand and say, Brother Larson, pray for me. Pray for me. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see those hands. Pray for me. I want to make it right. I want to know I'm in covenant relationship with God. I see that hand. I want to, I want to know and be assured that God who created it, who formed it, who establishes it, who sustains it, is doing that with my life. Anybody else? Anybody else? I want you to pray with me, if you would. The prayer itself isn't what saves it. It's the faith in your heart that's extended towards Christ that will make the change. And I'm asking everybody in here to pray, to give strength to the people. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I call unto you, the God of heaven. I'm sorry for my sin, the things that I've done, and the way that I've lived. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus died as a payment for my sin, and I accept his provision. And I also believe that on the third day, he rose from the dead, and that he's alive. I give him my life. I give him my heart. I ask him into my being. And right now, according to the Word, I've been washed, I've been cleansed, I've been justified, I've been sanctified, I'm accepted, I am saved. In Jesus' name. Now come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. everyone that raised that hand and there were many and said that prayer from the heart things are going to be different but for the rest of you you may have come tonight with your heart heavy because of where you find yourself it's not easy to call
call and keep on calling even though that's the answer. It's not easy to ask and keep on asking when the asking takes time and the world seems to be crumbling around us. But if you're here tonight and that's your situation, we want to stand with you. We want to pray with you. We want to believe God with you. We want you to draw some strength from us. The only way for us to know that is for you to tell us, I need some help. And I know it might be kind of hard, but we're going to worship as Jeff and the team choose to sing what they want to sing. But if you've been having a struggle and you need some help, calling on the Lord, establishing that as the means by which you're going to approach your problem and you want some help as we worship for a few moments before we go home. I'm asking you to step out of where you're standing. Come down to this altar. Come down to this and begin to worship. Begin to pray. And in your heart say, God, I'm calling. God, I'm calling. I've got a need, and I'm calling wherever you are. If you're here tonight, and that's you, step out from where you are. Come on. The invitation is open. That's you. Come on. You got something you need to talk to him about? Come on. You got a family situation you need resolved? Come on. There's some frustration that's built? Come on. This message was not to condemn It was to encourage, to strengthen, to cause you to stand in the midst of your adverse circumstance and believe God. Come on. Come on. We're going to worship. We're going to praise. We're going to pray. We're going to believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, all that we think. Right now in Jesus' name. Come on. Come on, call unto me, he said. Call unto me, he said. Call unto me, he said.
If you were blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail, Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, you can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you and God bless you and your family.